Hi there, my name is Amber, and our scripture reading today comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. This is the reading of God's word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. This is the word of the Lord. Well, before we jump into the word today, uh, I want to take a moment as a church to pray for our country. I mentioned this earlier, but my heart has been heavy all week thinking about the division and hatred that truly seems to have reached a boiling point here in the U.S. You know, I have friends overseas who've been texting me like, is this really happening over there? And it really is so sad and disheartening, uh, especially as a parent. You know, when I think about my kids growing up in such a volatile environment. And I want to implore our church this morning, as Christians, we can't detach ourselves from the things going on right now. These events are not just things happening over there. We should see everything happening right now as an indictment on all of us and a sobering reminder of our brokenness as human beings. And so if you're able, I'm going to invite you now to bow with me as I lift up a prayer for our nation. Father, we come to you humbly this morning, uh, not knowing how to even pray for our country. It feels like every time we take one step forward, we take two steps back. And I know that many of my brothers and sisters tuning in today are scared, angry, and appalled by the ongoing hostility, violence, and hatred that seems to be getting worse by the day. In a time when we need each other the most, it seems that we have completely lost sight of our collective humanity and lost sight of you. We repent of the ways we have tarnished your name, for the ways we as individuals and as your ambassadors on earth have misrepresented you and contributed to the pain that is now coming to the surface. We pray for peace in our torn nation and we ask for your mercy upon our leaders on both sides. Do not delay, God. We need your help. We need your wisdom and your grace. And so we place our ultimate hope and our trust in you, in whom all things are possible. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last week uh, we launched a new sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer found in Matthew 6 that goes, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Such a simple prayer, and yet you have the whole mission and movement of Jesus wrapped up in these words. Every single line of this prayer is telling us something about what it means to live in God's kingdom. 
And what we're doing each week is we're taking this familiar prayer phrase by phrase and we're using different texts and scripture to really unpack all of its theological richness. And today we start right at the beginning of the prayer with the words, Our Father. Believe it or not, this entire prayer hinges on these two words, Our Father. It's not just telling us who we pray to, it's actually telling us why we pray and how we pray. Let me explain. I mentioned this last week, but I don't think we realize just how significant it is that Jesus, throughout his life, almost always addresses God as Father. You know, for us now, we call God Father all the time, so it doesn't seem like a big deal. But back then, nobody called God that. He was Creator. He was Judge. He was the Almighty. You know, in Islam, there are 99 names for God. Not one of them is Father. Why is that? Well, there's something about that word Father that immediately brings God down to earth. It puts God in human terms. It makes Him accessible. And in a culture where the name of God invoked deep reverence and fear, to call God Father would have been offensive. You see, we all know that distance creates reverence, right? The more untouchable someone is, the more respect they command. It's just how it is. And yet the way Jesus chooses to address God is not as this powerful, distant, inaccessible being, but as dad. And now he's instructing his disciples to do the same. He's completely redefining the relationship God has with his people. And you could say this is the very reason Jesus came into the world, to reconcile sinners to God so that we could relate to him as our father. Uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago, uh, you remember our guest speaker, Pastor Tom, spoke on the doctrine of adoption. This idea that Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and paid the ultimate price. Why? So that we might be called sons and daughters of God. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And this is the heart of our text today in Romans 8. You know, if you take a look at verses 14 and 15, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. So here the Apostle Paul is saying, look, there are two ways to relate to God as a slave or as a child. Put another way, there are two ways to pray to God, as a slave or as a child. Well, what's the difference? Slaves have to work to earn their master's favor. Any provision or protection they receive is directly tied to their performance. You work for me and I give you something in return. The relationship is transactional. It's rooted in what you do. Children, on the other hand, don't need to do anything to earn their parents' love. In fact, most parent-child relationships are completely one-sided. You've probably heard the saying that love always flows downward, right? That the love of parents for their children will always be more powerful than that of children for their parents. And as a child, any provision or protection you receive is not tied to what you do, 
but rather who you are. Now my question for all of us today is, how do you approach God? As a slave or as a child? What do you believe about your relationship with God that shapes the way you go to Him? Now keep in mind, just because you pray, Dear Heavenly Father, doesn't necessarily mean you're approaching God as your father, right? And if the metaphor of a slave is a bit difficult to understand, let's reframe it as an employee-boss relationship, right? Which may be more familiar to many of us. This relationship is also transactional in nature, right? When you get hired to work at a company, what do you do? You usually sign a contract that says you're entitled to certain benefits, certain pay, insofar as you fulfill the duties required of you, okay? Now, bosses and employees, they can have great relationships. They can even be friends, sometimes good friends, as long as both sides hold up their end of the bargain. Now, our staff is probably listening to this right now like, is Jason sending us a message? I'm not, by the way. Y'all are actually my friends. Uh, But all that to say, in a typical employee-boss relationship, When you ask for something, you ask on the basis of what you have done. When you ask for a promotion or a raise, you will have to show some evidence that you deserve it, right? And the moment you feel like you're not getting what you deserve, what do you do? You start looking for a new job. And all bosses, to some extent, know this and they expect this, right? Because they know the relationship is transactional. Now, this is completely different with children. I have no such contract with my kids. If my kids don't perform to my liking, I can't go get new kids. You know, like every week, uh, I'm sitting there with my three-year-old son, Jack, in the toddler Sunday school Zoom, and this kid just has so much energy, he he just can't sit still, and and the volunteers can't see me because I'm off screen. But a lot of times, I'm on the side being like, sit properly. Look at how good those other kids are sitting, right? But he just looks at me and laughs. Why? Because he knows his relationship with me is not tied to his performance. He knows that even if he doesn't always clean up his toys, or even if he breaks half the things in our house, which he has, he's still my son. Doesn't mean I won't discipline him or get upset, but there is nothing he can do to make me love him any less. And this is why, even after I've yelled at him, after I've punished him, he somehow can still come back to me and say, can I have ice cream now? Like, where does he get the audacity to do that? It's because he knows I'm his dad. And what Paul is trying to get at in Romans 8 is he's saying, look, why are you still approaching God like your employees afraid to lose your job when you're in fact his children? To be a Christian is to be adopted into the family of God. And look at verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Meaning we're not just children by name. We have all the benefits that come with being a child of God, not because of our behavior, but in spite of our behavior. How? Because we're united with Christ, the one who fulfilled every requirement we could not. You know, for my son... Uh, the benefit of having a responsible older sister is that he often gets credit for what she does. I say, I want this entire living room cleaned up by the time I come back down. And I get back down and it's clean. 
but somehow he's still sitting in the same exact position he was sitting when I went upstairs. But you know what his older sister often does? She says, Daddy, we cleaned up. We cleaned up. You see, this is what Jesus does for us when we've placed our trust in him. He goes to the father and he says, Dad, look at what we did. Look at how we obeyed you and served you and glorified you. Do you see how amazing that is? To call God Father is to reap the benefits of what Christ has done on our behalf. And yet still, so many of us continue to approach God like he's our boss. Now let me give you a few litmus tests uh, to, to know whether or not you are indeed approaching God as your father or as your boss. Okay, number one. When you feel like you failed as a Christian, when you feel like, oh man, I, I really messed things up, how easy is it for you to go to God? If it's difficult, if you find yourself anxious or ashamed, it's very possible that you may be approaching him as a boss. And now you feel guilty because you feel like you haven't held up your end of the contract. Now, I'm not saying some guilt isn't good, right? I think we should grieve our sin. I think we should take our sin seriously. But if we ever feel like God will not listen to us or show favor upon us because of something we've done, we're no longer seeing him as our father. We're seeing him as our boss. Now, on the flip side of that, how do you find yourself reacting when you do feel like you've been a good Christian? You go to church every week, you lead a community group, you pray and read the Bible, and yet God still doesn't answer your prayers. You still don't have a job. You still can't find a significant others. How do you feel? You get upset? Do you get bitter? Do you start to resent God? Because this response, believe it or not, also assumes there is a contract. And when it comes down to it, the reason you're actually upset is that you feel like God isn't holding up his end of the bargain. You feel like you're entitled to something for your good work. You see, in this scenario, God is still your boss and not your father. Now, don't get me wrong. You can be angry with God. My kids are angry with me all the time because I don't always give them what they want. But at the end of the day, as much as they kick and scream and yell, there is a sense in which they understand deep down that they have to trust me because I'm their dad. You know, this past week, my daughter asked me for dessert after dinner and I said, you can have fruit, but no ice cream tonight, no chocolate. And she lost her mind. And I let her be angry. I let her express her frustration. But after she calmed down, I put her on my lap and I said, you know why I said no to ice cream tonight? And she didn't say, is it because you don't love us? I mean, isn't that usually our conclusion when God says no to our prayers? Must mean he doesn't love me. No, my daughter didn't say that. She said, is it because ice cream isn't healthy and you want us to grow big and strong? And I said, that's right. You see, because she sees me as her dad, as much as she wants something, when all is said and done, she understands that when I say no, it's for her good. Doesn't mean she won't ask me for dessert tomorrow or the next day or the day after that, 
But even her doing that shows you the confidence by which she can approach me. Even when she knows I will probably say no. Even when she knows her requests are ridiculous. She can ask me for whatever she wants because she knows I'm her dad. And you know what? Because I love my children and my heart is to lavish them with good gifts, there are days when I will say, you know what? Go ahead. Have three scoops of ice cream. All right? Don't judge me if you're a parent because we all know how much we want to give to our kids. Jesus talks about this in Luke 11 when he says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, understanding that God is our Father allows us to bring requests to him that we could never bring to someone else. Like my kids can eat my food and they can say, ugh, I don't like this. And it hurts my feelings, but they know they can say that. They know they can't say that when they go to someone else's house or else they're going to hear about it from me or Carol. Right? We tell them, when you go to your friend's house, I don't care if you don't like the food they give you, you eat it with a smile on your face and then you ask for seconds. Right? There are things they can express openly and ask for in our house because they're our children. Now, do you feel that way about God? Do you feel completely comfortable approaching Him? Do you feel completely confident being yourself or do you still feel like there are things you have to hide? Do you still feel like He's someone else's father but not yours? Now, I want to mention two quick things. Uh, First, you know, I know that many of you tuning in uh, either have a strained relationship with your parents or perhaps no relationship at all. And so I know uh, for some of us, it's hard to even make that distinction between boss and parent because in our mind, the two are the same. You know, maybe your parents did put conditions on your relationship growing up. Maybe they still do. Maybe they did tie their acceptance and love to your performance. Maybe they still do. And I want to give a pastoral word for those of you who are feeling this right now. And I want to say this. The very fact that God wants us to relate to him as our father should be especially comforting for you. Because Jesus is saying, in me, even those of you whose earthly caretakers have failed to love, serve, and protect you, you have a heavenly father who is infinitely good and gracious, a father who is obsessed with you, a father who looks upon you every second of the day with deep affection and love. And I hope and pray that this reality that in Christ you will never be fatherless in this life would resonate deep within your hearts this morning. Now the second thing I'd like to say is for all you parents tuning in, and I don't say this to put additional pressure on you, uh, but I do think that as parents, We have to be cognizant of the fact that one day, our kids' ability to relate to God as their father, whether we like it or not, will be directly tied to our relationship with them. Their capacity to see God as one whose love is unconditional and not something to be earned will be greatly impacted by the way they experience our love and our acceptance. 
Now, we will obviously fail a lot. We will definitely need the grace of God to cover us. But I do want to say that so that all of us understand the weightiness of our calling as parents. You know, this past week, uh, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking a lot about my own parents. And it's funny because I'm 37 years old. I have two kids of my own. And yet, even if I have so much as a sniffle, my dad will still be texting me nonstop. Are you okay? Did you take your medicine? What's your temperature? And my mom will still drive an hour to drop off a pot of soup on our doorstep. And to this day, my parents can't sleep at night if they know one of their children is sick or suffering. To them, I will forever be their child. And it made me think about the relationship between Jesus and his father. I think about Matthew 3, the day of Jesus' baptism, when a voice from heaven says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's a moment that captures the fullness of the father's joy as he looks down on his beloved child. Any parent who's ever held their child in their arms for the first time knows what this feels like. And when you read through the Gospels, it's so apparent how intimate this relationship between father and son is. Everything Jesus does, he's always saying, I did it for him. Look at him. I and the father are one. In John 5, Jesus says, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. They are as close as a parent and child could be. Even on the night Jesus is betrayed, In the anguish of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus still addresses God as Abba, Father. It's the same word we see here in Romans 8. He says, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. He's saying, Dad, do I have to die? Is there any other way? You don't have to be a parent to know how much those words probably broke the Father's heart. But you know what might be the most heartbreaking part of this story? On the cross, when Jesus was at his absolute lowest, naked, humiliated, and alone, you would think he would have cried out, Abba, Father, like he always did. I mean, if there were ever a moment when Jesus needed his dad, it was this one. But when you read the account of the crucifixion in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus doesn't use the word Abba on the cross. He uses a different Aramaic word, Eloi. It's a more formal word for God, and it's such a subtle shift, but one that reveals the utter abandonment Jesus is feeling in that moment as the Father turns his face away. Donald McLeod, author and professor, puts it like this, Like Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah, he and the Father had gone up to Calvary together. But now Abba is not there. Only El is there, God Almighty, God All-Holy, and He is before El, not now as His beloved Son, but as the sin of the world. Jesus, God's one and only Son, was forsaken by the Father so that you and I would be adopted into God's family as His own children. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the Father's heart. 
just as many of us, even in our brokenness, would go to every length imaginable for the sake of our kids, so God has traversed from heaven to earth so that you and I, as it says in Ephesians 3, might grasp the width and length and height and depth of his great love for us. And so my hope and prayer for all of you this morning and this coming week is that each time you pray the words, Our Father, you would remember what it took for you to be called his child. That it isn't because of what you've done or achieved on your own, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.